We've been in this series in 2 Peter uh, for several weeks, and we've actually been in this same passage for a few weeks now, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, um, verses uh, 1 through 16. And uh, the reason that we're spending a lot of time here is because it's a thick passage, and there's a lot in it, there's a lot of references, uh, but it's all centered around this huge, important biblical concept of God being both a righteous judge and a merciful Savior and Redeemer. And uh, this, this mystery, we're told in the Bible, that was, that was uh, marveled about and questioned for thousands of years of like, how can God both be righteous and holy and a just judge and also be merciful and kind and forgiving and gracious? Uh, how can those two come together? And we see ultimately uh, that it comes together in Jesus Christ. And it's such a big concept that he gives us a number of examples to kind of help us think about and process how this has shown itself uh, to be true historically. And... Um, I'm not going to give a lot of preamble today because there's so much that I want to dive into that I, I want to just jump in, but let's just pause for a moment. Let's pray. Let's ask God to, uh, to open up our hearts and to speak to us through his word uh, this morning. Father God, we thank you for uh, this day, this day that you've given us. Uh, we thank you for this moment. God, I pray that you would just remove any distractions, any of the things that would, would pull our minds away from what you would have us to hear uh, from you and from your word this morning. And I pray that we would take both the warning and the encouragement seriously this morning. That we would, um, that we would walk away both, both challenged and comforted. And uh, God, that you would do the work that only you can do in our hearts. Uh, we make ourselves available to you. We willingly come and open our lives up to you and invite you um, to show us areas where we need to change. And strengthen areas where we are weak and to teach us dependence in areas where we're self-sufficient, and in all things uh, to get closer to you this morning, God. Uh, we pray that you would do this work in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, and so, uh, so 2 Peter chapter 2, um, and let me just give you a little bit of context, especially if you haven't been here with us. The, the letter, uh, this, the second letter that we have from Peter here, he begins by saying, hey, listen, you've got everything that you need for life and godliness. It's all been given to you through Jesus to live uh, just with power and with purpose and with urgency. Um, and because that's true, I want you to make every effort to live lives of righteousness, to supplement your faith with virtue and with knowledge and with self-control and with godliness and with brotherly affection and with love, to live lives that are worthy of Jesus. Because if we don't do that, we're basically so self-centered, so nearsighted that we're, we're, we're just focused in so much that we lose perspective on why we were saved in the first place. That we're not just saved to get our ticket for heaven, but we're, we're saved to be used as implements in God's hands that we make ourselves, we enter into the kingdom and to begin to function as citizens of his kingdom here and now, today. <laughs> and so there's, there's an, a sense in which we've entered into it. But he goes on to say, as we get into chapter 2 here, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for temptation. There's going to be plenty of opportunities that are going to come to pull you away. And sadly, a lot of times they're going to come from within the church. And so, so listen to what he says here in the beginning of, of chapter 2, and it's a mouthful. It begins in, in verse 1. He says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, 
but their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. I'm going to pause there. Um, it goes on. You can see why we're taking several weeks to go through this passage, right? It's like, it's thick and it's heavy and there's a lot in here. But in essence, what he's saying, he's, he's saying that, um, that they'll come in and they'll bring in their heresy secretly. They won't say, hey, I'm here to develop, uh, I'm going to give you some blasphemous and heretical teaching. Who wants to listen, right? No, they'll say like, hey, this is, this is God's word and this is his will for your life. And, and it centers around greed and, and lust and, and things of the flesh, and essentially, the false teachers will always find a way to merge this idea of like, hey, you can indulge your flesh, you can do whatever you want to do, and still call yourself a Christian. You can, you can live in the world, but you can still have a right relationship with God. You can have it all. You can have both. And in so doing, they end up denying who Jesus really is. Uh, when, when, when you get a weird feeling about a, something, you're like, man, something doesn't feel right about that teaching or that preaching or that, uh, just zero in on, like, what do they say about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because false teaching always gets Jesus wrong. Because when we get Jesus right, everything else falls into place, right? And so he says they're going to get, they're going to deny the master who saved them. They're going to bring upon themselves destruction. But sadly, many will follow their sensuality. And this is the way of it, right? That the path to destruction is broad and wide, and there are many who go down to it. It's appealing, because if we're honest, we want to hear like, hey, uh, salvation is easy. You can do whatever you want, and you can still be saved. That's a message that draws a crowd, and so we look at that, and all of a sudden, they're building bigger buildings, and they've got TV ministry, and they've got this and that, and, and you look at it, and you're like, man, God, that seems like they're prospering, and he says, don't, don't worry. Their, their destruction is not asleep. <laughs> God is not, not missing what's going on here. Um, and he has shown historically throughout time that he's able to save the righteous and he is able to condemn the wicked. And that's exactly what will happen here. So don't get sucked up into their false teachings. And so we looked two weeks ago at, at the fallen angels and the false prophets with Keith. Last week we looked at Noah and the flood with Paul. And, and today we're going to look at Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. And there's some powerful examples here, and I think this may be one of the most practical of the examples that he gives, because here's the reality, spoiler alert, uh, Lot is deemed as righteous and he gets saved. Sodom and Gomorrah are deemed as wicked and they get destroyed. Um, and uh, if we're just satisfied with saying like, hey, as long as I know that I'm going to end up in the right place when I'm done, I'm happy with that, man, that's the recipe for a life of wasted opportunity, of purposeless drifting, of uncertainty, of unnecessary pain and struggle. And so we can look at the example of Lot 
And we can say, how can I move forward with purpose, knowing that God will judge the wicked and he will save the righteous? How can I navigate through a world that is filled with both and live a life that is useful in the hands of my Savior? Live a life that honors God and that is a blessing to those that are in my family and those that are around me, right? And so we're going to look at a lot for this example. Now, let me give you a little bit of, of context. This is centered around Abraham. Abraham is the father of, of, of our faith. And uh, God came to Abraham and he said, hey, I'm going to take you uh, to a land that you do not know. I'm going to give it to you as an inheritance and I'm going to turn your family into a blessing for the whole world. And uh, Abraham had a brother whose name was Haran. And Haran died, uh, but he had a son named Lot. And so we get this special bond between Abram and Lot. Abram, uh, as you know, uh, if you know the story, his wife was barren, and so he had no children. And so here we have a father without a son, and over here we have Lot, whose father has died, and so we have a son without a father. And so they essentially develop this close relationship between Abram and Lot. And so God comes to Abram and he says, hey, I'm going to take you, you and your kinsmen, and your family, I'm going to make you a blessing. And Lot gets swept in up in that. And so when, when Abram goes out to pursue the blessings of God and obedience, Lot goes along with him. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 13, in verse 2. And it says that Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, where Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made the altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that, the Lord, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So basically what it's saying is they were so blessed that it became a problem. Now, how many of you would take that on willingly, right? <laughs> like, uh, I don't play the lottery, but there's been a few times. Like, one time I was at the laundromat, and I found, like, an unscratched lottery ticket, and I was like, this is it. This is how God is going to deliver blessing into my life. I never bought the ticket, and sure enough, I scratched it off, and it didn't win, right? <laughs> but it was probably an act of mercy, right? For most of us, the worst thing that could happen would be for us to win the lottery because it would just be pouring fuel on our our sinful desires, and we would get everything we ever wanted, and it would lead us to destruction, right? And so, uh, but, but they're in a situation where they are being obedient, they are following God, and both Abram and Lot are being so blessed that the country is overrun with their livestock, and so they have to, to solve this problem. And so, essentially, I'll paraphrase, Abram looks at Lot, and he says, hey, listen, there's no reason for us to be in contention. Uh, look to the land. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. You choose whatever you want. You take the land that you want, and I'll take the other, whichever way you don't go, right? And so Lot lifted up his eyes, verse 10, and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Now, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Spoiler alert, right? Warning, warning signs flashing, right? So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. And thus they separated from each other, and Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So now he's moving his tent right up against the city of Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. 
the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, uh, where he built an altar to the Lord. So the first thing I want you to see here is that there are two sides to freedom. There are two sides to freedom. We have incredible freedom in Jesus Christ. He, 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 he died to set us free from sin. But there's two sides to that freedom. Uh, the, the first side is this, that Abram looked to Lot and he said, Hey, Lot, if you want to go left, go left and I'll go right. If you want to go right, go right, I'll go left. This is not what my kids say when the cinnamon buns come out of the oven, right? When, when the cinnamon buns come out of the oven, my kids go over and they'll be like, I want that one, right? Like, they're, they're jealous for the most icing-filled cinnamon bun, right? They want the best. But Abram knew he had the freedom to not do this. Abram said, hey, you can pick whatever you want because I know that God's blessing is not contingent on the where as much as it is on the why and the how. If I'm following God in obedience— if I'm living in the way that he has called me to live, I know that he can bless wherever he directs my foot. And so if you like that land over there, that's great. I'll go over here and God can bless me over here. And if you like that land, that's fine because I'll go over here and God can bless me. He knew that he had freedom. Now, how often do we get paralyzed for fear that we're going to miss God's will in our life? Right? We say, oh, should I take this job or shouldn't I take the job? God, which is this your will? God, they asked me to serve on the parking team. Should I serve on the parking team, right? Like, uh, the, God, why? why? And, and instead of saying, God, should I do this? What we should say is, well, hey, why do I want that job? Why do I want that relationship with that person? <laughs> is it because they, I, I see a godly character in them, and I know that if I spend time with them, that they're going to draw me closer to God? Or are my motivations really born out of, of the flesh? right? Why do I want that job? Is it, I just want more money, more prestige, more, uh, more recognition, a better title? Or do I look at that job and say, hey, that's a, that's a great way to provide for my family. It fits my skill set really well. So, so why do you want to do the job? Why do you want the relationship? The why and the how are way more important than the what, the where, and the when. If you get the why and the how right, you have incredible freedom. And that's what Abram understood. But the flip side of this is that, that, that with our freedom comes consequences. God is completely sovereign over all things, but at the same time, our choices have consequences. And so Lot looked out and he said, literally, the grass is greener over there. <laughs> that's where I want to go. But what he didn't take into account is that's where everybody wanted to be. And so all these wicked nations, all these wicked people had congregated in that area. And he said, yeah, you know, the neighbors aren't great, but it's a good school district. And, uh, you know, uh, the taxes are low. I think I, I, that's where I want to set up shop, right? He didn't take into account the community that he was moving into. He was able, and don't we do this when we really want what our heart wants, what our flesh wants? We tend to minimize the things that might be negatives and maximize the positives so we can talk ourselves into doing it. And so, so Lot went, and as we're going to see in the story, there's incredible consequences that came with the choice. And he has to forego the right at that point to say, oh, well, I guess God is just testing me out. I guess God is just trying me. No, Lot, like you chose. 
you made a choice and there was consequences that came with that. So, so there's two sides to freedom. How are you doing with living in your freedom? Are you paralyzed? <laughs> Afraid that you're going to get outside of God's will? What I want to encourage you is this, that if you, if you, if you study this, he'll show you how to live. He'll, he'll show you what your heart motivation is meant to be. And if you get that right, you can't make a wrong choice. If you're, if, you're, if you're operating out of the center of God's will. So there's great freedom in that. Some of us need that this morning. Other of us are asking, God, why me? God, why are you pouring these things out on me? When honestly, we need to evaluate some of the choices that we've made. And we say, hey, look, I made a choice and I'm experiencing the consequence of that right now. God, I, I, I confess, I admit that, and I ask you to redeem this situation because I know you're a redeemer and I know you can do it. So they're walking in this freedom. Um, and it doesn't take long for the consequences to come in. There's this kind of Lord of the Rings scenario where these five kings come up against these four kings and they have this massive battle in the valley that Lot chose and Lot and his family and all of his possessions get taken away as spoil of the war and they get captive. And so Abram actually comes, he hears about it, he takes his men and he goes and he rescues Lot out of that and brings him back and saves him. God uses Abram to save Lot uh, from the consequences of his choice. And you might think that Lot would say like, hey, Abram, man, that was a bad move. Now that I've got a fresh start, I'm going to come over here where you are because I think that I made the wrong choice. But he doesn't do that. He goes back and he sets up shop right in the, with Sodom again. And so the Lord comes to Abram to give him warning uh, that destruction is coming. And so we pick it up in Genesis 18. And I skipped a lot of awesome stuff. If you want to do some reading this week, just go into this part of Genesis and read through it. Man, there's incredible things about Abram and the promise he receives in Melchizedek. But I learned from the first service that I don't have time to talk about all that stuff. So you'll have to go read it and be inspired yourself. Um, Genesis 18, verse 20, it says, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abram still stood before the Lord. And Abram drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? The Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Essentially, the Lord comes and says, Hey, I'm going to destroy the city because it is wicked. And Abram knows that Lot is living there and says, Hey, well, Lord, if, if there's just fifty righteous people, will you save the city for the sake of them? And he's like, Yeah, okay, I'll do it. And he's like, Okay, I should have, I should have negotiated better. And so he keeps negotiating all the way down to ten where the Lord says, hey, if there's 10 righteous people, I will spare the whole city for the sake of those 10 righteous people. But Abram is worried because even 10 might be hard to find in the city of Sodom. So chapter 19, Genesis, verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom, and when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth, and he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, that you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. 
But he pressed them strongly so that they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now notice, originally, Lot chose the valley where Sodom was. Then he sent his tent up next to Sodom. Now he's sitting in the gate of Sodom, which is where the leaders of the city would gather. And so now he's fully ingrained himself into this community. And he sees these strangers come in, and he knows that nothing good is going to happen to them. So they're like, hey, we'll just camp out over here. And he's like, no, 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 I insist. Come inside, and then in the morning, get up early and get out of town, right? He's, he knows where this is going. The question is, why is he there with them, right? But how many of us, this is part of our story, right? How many of us have walked down this road? It's starting to sound eerily familiar. You see the sin. You see the brokenness but you just set up shop right in the middle of it. And you say, hey, it's not going to touch me. I can be in it, but not of it. I can eat the fish and leave the bones. I just don't know that that's a wise choice, right? Why? Why, why, why would we do this? And, and this is about to take a really bad turn. Verse 4, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. They called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. See, he still isn't willing to let go of the relationship, right? My brothers. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. What a horrifying story, right? And this is where sin always leads. I, trust me, if you haven't experienced this in your life, man, I have seen it over and over again that when you go down the path of sin, you end up at a place where there is no up. There is only down. And so in his effort to do what's right, Lot says, hey, don't take these, these guests in my home. Take my daughters instead. And we're horrified. We're like, what? Who would do that? Now, in their culture, in their society, the guest was so honored that they were honored even above household members. But clearly, the choice that he made doesn't feel like the right choice either, right? And that's what sin does. It leaves you in a place where you say, there is no way forward. I can't find the way forward. There seems to be no path out of this. And only if in God's grace he arrests us out of that do we, do we but, but if that's the path that you're on, if, if this morning God is speaking to you about uh, friends that you're associating with, situations that you're putting yourself in, things that you're engaging with, let me tell you, that's where it ends. Like, like being rolled over under a wave where you don't know how to swim to the surface anymore because you're so spun around. And it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. The rumors are true that God has heard. Verse 10, But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them, and they shut the door, and then they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anywhere, anyone else here? They're looking for the 10, right? Are there 10 righteous people, right? Have you anyone else here? Son-in-laws, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. Now remember, this is Lot who had so many 
people, so many servants, so much flocks that they couldn't even occupy the same spaces as his uncle. And now it's whittled down to like, what does he have left, right? Is there anybody that you want to save out of this city? For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and he said to his sons-in-law, those who were to marry his daughters, Get up! Get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. I, okay, I'm, I just, I got to grab my Nespresso machine and my pods, and I got to get my goldfish, right? Like, he's just, he, he's, ah, I, I don't want to forget, right? The whole thing is about to go up in flames, but he's lingering. But isn't that what sin does? Man, if, if, if you've been in that, it gets its talons into you, even when you know you need to get out. Sometimes it's so hard. If you've been in the wrong relationship with the wrong person, you know how this is, right? You just need to end it and walk away, and yet you can't do it. You can't quite delete the number out of your phone. You can't cut off communication. You can't just say it's over. Sin gets its hooks in. Verse 16, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Sometimes in his mercy, God drags us kicking and screaming away from our sin. <laughs> Sometimes he ends something that is so broken that we just don't have the power to get out of. And so in his love and mercy, he blows it up. <laughs> he says, I'm just not going to let you go there anymore because I love you. That's the kind of love that we need to have for one another. So he seized him. His wife and his two daughters, they brought him out of the city. Verse 17, and they brought them out. One of them said, escape for your life. Now, you'd think at this point they're running for the hills, right? I mean, how many warnings do you need, right? Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this, this city over here, it's near enough to flee to, and it's, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. It's, it, it's a little one, and my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities that grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, how many of you guys remember this story from Sunday school and the flaminal graph and everything, right? And you're like, oh, man, God, that was kind of hard. She just, turned, she just turned around. Like, did you really have to turn her to a pillar of salt? But when you look at God's continual pleading, like, please, just come out of the city. Please, it, it's, I, I'm going to drag you by the hand. I'm going to take you. Just uh, don't look. Okay, I'll let you go to the city. How many times was he merciful? But the thing is, if we keep hardening our hearts and we keep being disobedient, we come to a place where we're incapable of receiving the salvation that he's offering to us. 
So it wasn't just that Lot's wife was disobedient and looked back. It was a string of disobedience, disobedience, reluctance, unwillingness, disobedience, un, you know, and, and there's, there's a limit. Are you pushing the limits with God? It says in Scripture that, that God doesn't want anyone to perish and that we shouldn't mistake his, 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 his timing, his, his graciousness, his mercy as the fact that he doesn't see what's going on. It's because he loves you. But he wants you to turn around today. Man, we had a reminder this week, right, with the tornado warnings and stuff, the sky gets dark, the clouds start spinning. You start to realize, like, hey, I'm not as big and all-powerful and in control as I thought I was. Like, this thing could get completely out of my control right now. But that was really just a glimpse into the ultimate reality of life. That's, that's the truth. We don't have anywhere near the control that we think that we have over things. And here's what I want you to see in this. Sin has a numbing effect. Lot was in it so long that even though 2 Peter declares him righteous, it says that Lot was a righteous man. He was righteous, but his life dissipated. He started out with blessing and herds and flocks and servants and riches and all these things. And at the end of the story, he's getting out with the clothes on his back and his two daughters, but not his wife, none of his possessions, none of his wealth. Not its reputation. It's all stripped away because of sin. And that's what sin will always do to us. And here's the sad thing that I want you to see. There's also this element of righteousness by association that we see in this story. That Abram was a mediator for Lot. Abram went before the Lord and said, God, please spare Lot. Spare my nephew. And God listened. When Lot was kidnapped, Abram went and he rescued Lot and brought him out of captivity. And so really you could point to Abram and say, man, if not for Abram, Lot would have been in big trouble. And I hope you'll take that as an encouragement if you're here, if you're a parent, if you've got a, a prodigal child, if you have a loved one, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a friend who's just walking away from the Lord, man, keep praying. Keep pleading before the Lord. And who knows if, if, in the same way that Abram's prayers were answered and Lot was saved, that, that maybe that your friend, your loved one, the one you care for, that, that God is known to do that. But here's the sad side of righteousness by association. Lot's wife was not saved by association with Lot. His servants, his future son-in-laws, if you keep reading, you'll see his daughters don't end out too good either. If you're counting on righteousness by association, you're saying, hey, my grandmother was a godly woman. I'm sure she prayed me into heaven. My parents were Christians. My parents are Christians. I'm sure that's got me good. My spouse, yeah, they pray, so I'm sure I'm covered. Don't rest in righteousness by association. But ultimately, here's what I want you to see. Lot had Abram, but we have one far greater than Abram. Abram interceded with the Lord for Lot, but we have Jesus to intercede for us. We're told that he's interceding before the Father on our behalf to bring us into salvation. That, that, that Abram went and rescued Lot from an, a wicked king, but Jesus came and he rescued us from the wages of sin, from death. That what Lot did in part, Jesus has done in whole. And he offers it to each one of us. 
like the angels grabbing a hold of the hands of Lot and his family and pulling them out of the city. Jesus is reaching out to you to pull you out of your sin. But you have a choice. The way has been made. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. But once the door is open, you can walk through the door or you can choose to remain. Lot went, kicking and screaming, but he went. (laughs) And he was saved. Lot's wife looked back. And she was turned to a pillar of salt. My hope and prayer for you is that you would put your faith in Jesus today. That as, as appealing as the path of sin may look, the valley looked green when Lot looked at it, right? Standing on the mountaintop, looking at the valley, he's like, man, that's where I want to be. But where it ends is where Lot ended in this story. And I would encourage you that you're not saved for yourself that Abram's righteousness extended to his family. Abram's righteousness extended all the way to us today. How great is the blessing that God can multiply by someone who devotes their life to living in righteousness for him? But if you selfishly choose to use your, your, your salvation, Lot made it out by the skin of his teeth, but there was no residual benefit to anyone around him. Which one do you want to be your legacy? Which life do you want to choose? Join me in prayer. Father God, we don't relish judgment. We don't celebrate destruction. And yet when we look at the wickedness of the people of Sodom and what they were doing continually before you and and the the nations were crying out for you to to avenge and we think about the the wickedness and the evil that we've seen in our lifetime, God, we, we need you to be a righteous judge. We need to know that when there is injustice that you will ultimately make all things right. Help us not to overlook the, the effects and the wages of sin, God. They are heavy. This, this story in history, it, it makes it clear the, the wages of sin is death. But just like you saved Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, you, you sent your son Jesus to save every single one of us. Father, I pray that there's not a single person who would leave this room today without taking up that free gift, that offer of salvation, that every one of us is offered the opportunity to leave this room today as a new creation in you, to be seen as righteous, to be seen as forgiven, to be seen as redeemed, to be seen as loved and adopted. Man, that's worth celebrating, God. And for those of us that have taken up that incredible offer that you've given to us, God, push us to live lives of righteousness. Push us to flee from sin. Don't let us become numb to to, to it, God. Let us live righteously for the benefit of all those around us. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done, what no one else could do. You did for us, and we thank you for it today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.